I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word. And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. The last time we were looking at the judgment that is coming, and Solomon dealt with the fact that there was a place of judgment, a people of judgment, there was a period of judgment, a perception of judgment. Now we get to chapter number four, and he is back in verse one. So I returned and considered the oppressions that are done under the sun. We're right back thinking under the sun. I returned and back to worldly wisdom. I'm looking at these things, and we're going to look at this chapter and see that he is seeing that there is the vanity of suffering, the vanity of success, the vanity of singleness, and the vanity of status. You know, Solomon started out so well, and I find myself saying, Lord, I started well. I have not always run well, but let me get back up and keep going so I can continue to run as well as I can run because I am absolutely do not want to end wrong. I want to end well. Paul ended well. He declared, and it's in the scriptures, that he had fought a good fight. He had finished his course, and he was faithful. My goodness, what a, what a thing to believe that you know that you did and have God's approval on it. So we look at this and we see in verses 1 to 3 the vanity, the emptiness, the horrorness of suffering under the sun. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. The idea of oppressions deals with that which weighs a person down physically, mentally, you know, spiritually, things that weigh people down. But... Uh, we look at here and he says, and behold the tears of such as were oppressed. Those who were being weighted down, defrauded, violated. Those who were suffering in these things. And he, here's what he realized as he was looking at it through the lens under the sun. They had no comforter. They had nobody to comfort them. The idea of this word comforter is the idea to be sorry or to pity. There was nobody to pity them. There was no one to help them. He said, I looked at all these oppressions that are done under the sun and the tears of the people crying 
They have no comforter. But what they have is on the side of the oppressors, there was power. But they had no comforter. He said, that's interesting. The oppressors who have the power to inflict all of this suffering on people, they don't have any comforter either. Under the sun, he saw no help for anybody. Now, we may find ourselves not having a friend in this world. You may have a lot of good friends, Christian friends, godly friends, friends that spiritually have your back. But when you don't, you have the Lord Jesus Christ. And God said, the Lord Jesus said, hey, I got to leave so I can send the comforter. And in that particular case, in that word, it is the one called alongside to help, the Holy Spirit. So at salvation, we have the Holy Spirit now that is empowering us and teaching us all truth and guiding us into all truth and bringing it back to our memory and interceding for us and giving us the enlightening eyes. But we also have the Lord Jesus living in us and holding our hands to God's hands and bringing us together as the mediator between God and man. What a joy that is. And so he said, Wherefore, I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they, which has not been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. So basically what he's saying here is, it was just, I praise dead people because they're out of this mess. They don't have to deal with this. That's a futile thought process. That's a under the sun thinking process, not with the S-O-N, but under the S-U-N. He said, so I praise those people. Yea, better is he than both they, the alive and the dead, who hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Hey, listen, this is better than someone who's not yet been born. A not born person hasn't seen anything. Job, in his final outpouring after seven days and seven nights, kind of opens his mouth and complains a little bit and says, why didn't something happen to keep me from being born? He was thinking under the sun. But as he was always meant to, he didn't stay under there because as he debased these guys, which he never would have done had they not been the wicked friends they were, and had he just kept his mouth shut and say, look, I'm going to keep this between me and God. There'd have been none of that middle chapters. But we see that he says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. He still has his faith intact. He's not like Solomon. But he did have his moments where, you know, why didn't something happen? He said, you know, this is what I'm thinking. It's better if the guy that's not been born is better than the one who's been born, had to live through it, and died. But the dead person is better than the one who's still living in it. But Peter had something to say about it. When we turn to 1 Peter chapter number 2, and we start at verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. <laughs> that's not easy to do. The word froward means the warped, the crooked. And uh, he says, Servants, you do that. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, bear under the yoke of grief, suffering wrongfully. It's better that you bear up under the load and take the suffering that you're doing wrongfully. That you're, I mean, you're, that's, that you're suffering wrongfully for, not that you're doing wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? 
But if you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Now, when we think about this, we need to realize something here, and that is that suffering comes to all of us. And so if God comes to you with suffering, you need to take it patiently. If you don't, you're not going to show the people what God is doing in your life, and God will not be well-pleasing with you. And so, for he said, for him too, we are called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. My friend, Jesus did what he did and never reviled again and did nothing as he was suffering when he could have had them all killed. Instantly he could have called, called ten legions of angels, but he didn't do that. He suffered and died for us so that we could have our sin debt taken care of. The Lord says, hey, listen, what good is it if you glory in things when you're above every farts and you don't take it patiently? But if you do, that's acceptable unto God. We just turned the page a couple pages in 1 Peter, and we get to chapter number 4, and Peter says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. You're just partaking. You're fellowshipping with Christ's sufferings. That's what Paul prayed in his letter, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So he says here, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now think about that. Joy in that which hurts. That doesn't make sense to us, but it does to God. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, that which weighs us down till we can't run the race, and the sin which does so easily beset us, that sin that takes us out of the race, Get rid of it. And he says, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Where are our eyes? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen to it. Here it is. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Listen, Jesus comes on the scene and says, suffer like I suffered. Peter makes it clear. If we suffer, we have Christ as our example who suffered. But why did he do it? To take our sin debt. And what is he thinking as he's on the cross? He's saying it's a joy that was set before him. That's why he endured the cross and despised the shame. And then it goes on and says, and is right now, hallelujah, set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Beloved, think it not strange 
concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Don't even go that direction. He goes on, though, and he says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory of God resteth upon you. And on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Amen and amen. We are looking at the vanity of suffering. Now we go to the vanity of success. Everyone wants to be successful. But I want to just start out before I even read these verses and give you the good news. The word success is used in your King James Bible one time. And it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8, that this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You will measure your success upon your being in, staying in, heeding to, learning, growing, and obeying the word of God. That, my friend, is great success. So he says again, verse 4, Ecclesiastes of chapter 4, I considered all the travail and every right work. I listen, Look, I thought about all the workload, the travail, the labor that goes into all the right work. And that for this, a man is envied of his neighbor. And what I found out was there was people envious of my, just doing what was right. I looked at people who, who do what's right and they... They work right, and they work hard, and, and they do it above board, and there's people that just envy them. He said, this is also vanity, empty, no good, and vexation, grasping of the wind, vexation of spirit. He said, the fool foldeth his hands and eateth his own flesh. Now, what he's saying there is something about the fact that the fools don't go and work they just hold their hands together and they just eat at their own self they destroy themselves is what it's saying they don't go and do the things they should do to work they go oh i'm not going to get involved in all that and they sit back thinking somebody else is going to take care of them and they just eat away at themselves constantly my friend uh, idleness of time is idleness of mind and the two don't go together we're looking here at success. For this, a man is envied. People that are rich are envied. People that are popular are envied. People that are powerful are empty are envied. People that have a lot of brawn are, you know, they're they're just praised and envied. And people have a lot of brains or beauty, but that's not what God looks at. You can have tons of success in this life that's empty and vain. But you can have the success that God says in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate in it day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. That's when you make your way prosperous. That's when you have good success. The fool will not work. Thus, he's not ever successful. Well, how many people are like that today? Then 
in verse 6, better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Both hands full of grasping the wind. <laughs> both hands full of labor that is uh, just worthless, troublesome labor. Then he's saying here, better is a handful of quietness. Success only brings vanity and vexation of spirit. Better is less. Success brings much materialism, but peace comes from having content. Contentment is what the, the calm of peace is. Materialism doesn't give us peace. Only God can give us peace. Then we move on to verses 7 through 12. And we see the vanity of singleness. Then I returned. Here we go again. I observed something else. And I saw vanity under the sun. I saw all kinds of emptiness and meaningless under the sun. And look what he comes up with. There is one alone and there is not a second. He said, there is absolutely nobody. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Wow. He said, there's people that are just alone. They don't have anyone. And he said, that's vanity. They don't have any. He says, neither uh, hath he child nor brother, yet there is no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor? and bereave my soul of good. This also is vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. He goes, I've come to another thing. Here is one that's all alone, no one with him. He doesn't have any relationship, child or family. There is no end to all his labor. His eye is not satisfied with what he's doing. He doesn't ask, why am I doing this labor? Who am I doing it for? Why am I depriving myself of the good I could have? He says they don't even look at it right. They're all alone thinking they're going to just make it on their own and build it up on their own, and they're not happy. He said it's all vanity. It's all worthless. It's all no good. He said two are better than one. Now listen to his reasoning here. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. He said, well, here's the problem. There's no one here to help him up. Two are better than one because one can help the other if they're not there. They can be their support system. They can help them. And then he says, here's another thing. Uh, again, if two lie together, they have heat, for how can one be warm alone? And what he's saying here is, Sometimes you find yourself out in the cold, and uh, the two together have body heat. They can, can uh, make that body heat together until there's warmth. There is incredible, you, you bring a bunch of warm bodies into an air-conditioned building, how much the air conditioner will go up if it's really hot outside. The air conditioner labors for all the body heat that's entered into it. The building was cooled down, but the body heat comes in. And what we see here, how can one be warm alone? They did not have electric blankets to keep them warm, but often another person would keep the other person warm. Uh, that's what happened at the end of David's life. When David was old and dying, they got Abishag to uh, help generate warmth. There was nothing, the Bible says there was no sin that went on there. And he said, if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. 
and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. When we get to this, we see that there is, uh, Solomon is saying, hey, look, one is an easy victim, but two or even three can withstand an attacker with much better odds against, than those against him. The, these illustrations are giving the fact that vanity is uh, thinking differently than they should think. How can one be alone? Well, he wasn't alone if he remembered Christ. We are never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave us, never to leave us alone. And a threefold cord, three wrapped around, it's, it's not easily broken. And there's a great picture in there that we don't have time for uh, in this broadcast. But there's a great picture of the three cord, uh, threefold cord. We come down to verses 13 to 16, and we see the vanity in status. Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king. <laughs> He's an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. I think that's uh, classic writing right there. Better is the poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished, who is no longer able to glean and, and grow and be taught and to shine like he used to do. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. He said, even though the, he comes out of the prison to reign, while the other is just born a king, becomes the next one in line. He said, it's, it's crazy. He can said, I considered all the living which walk under the sun without God. I can looked at everybody walking without God under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. He said, I'm looking at all these people, and this is what I see. I see a lot of people who are under the sun, just like me, in their youth, who are one day going to stand up in my stead. And by the way, people took Solomon's place. And the first one to take his place was Rehoboam, and he was a fool. He took the, the counsel of the young men and not the older wise men. He went to the wise men and said, what do ye advise that I do. When he got to the young men of his age, his group, his companions, his buddies, he said, what do you advise that we do? Showing that he already was going to take everything they said, regardless of what they said. But above that verse, between those two verses, is this, he forsook the old man. We already know he forsook the old man, but the terminology is, I haven't even heard what you're going to say. I've already rejected theirs, which was the wisdom that should have been taken. I'm going to take yours, whatever it is. And because of that, the kingdom split. Jeroboam took 10 tribes and went one way, and Rehoboam went the other. That was King Solomon's first division. Then you follow the kings of Judah. There were only eight good kings, and the rest of them were terrible. And in Israel, in the split because of Rehoboam and Jeroboam, there were no good kings. He said, I considered all this, and I watched. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. You know what he's saying? He's saying there is a horribleness when you look that people end and yet, there's people that come in future generations who don't rejoice in those that have already gone. He said they don't even look back. 
They don't see the wisdom that was handed to them. I, I, I remember my dad loading me with life uh, principles, life things. to do. My, my dad was the one who taught me how to make a living, not how to live as a Christian. I didn't have that, but how to make a living, how to work hard, a good work ethic. My dad was the one that taught me if they tell you to sweep this corner and you see the other corner needs to be swept, you sweep them both. My dad was the one that taught me that you show up on time, and on time is early, not right at the dot, and you stay until the workload is done. A lot of things. He taught me about paying bills. He taught me about the uh, fact that if you uh, can't pay your bills, you get another job, and you don't eat till you pay your bills. I mean, my dad taught me life principles, and he handed me b- volumes of life principles. I've tried to hand them to my kids. But somewhere we've gotten to generations where they said, we don't need all of this, and they set it aside, and they don't want to learn from people who've experienced life. They want to go out and experience the hard knocks all by themselves and get knocked around, but they're doing it with a different mindset of no wisdom from the past. And my friend, that is a bad place to be. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them, they also that come after them shall not rejoice in him. And Solomon looked at that and said, this is crazy. This is vanity, emptiness, meaninglessness, profitlessness. It's vexation of spirit. It's grasping at the wind. You can't get hold of it. It makes no sense. So Solomon comes at the end of this chapter and he makes a a, a conclusion. It's all empty. It's vanity, suffering because of working hard is, is vanity and success being successful under the sun without God is empty and meaningless and being alone without God no one zero it mean if you're all alone you're not if you know Christ he, I, he under the sun you don't have Christ it's terrible and then the status of life is that no one cares no one remembers you go back to the dust and it's all over nothing new under the sun it's all empty vain profitless meaningless worthless empty grasping at nothing you can't hang on to it and it disappears what a horrible way to live but my friend we don't have to live that way you see, we can be successful by uh, the Word of God, by meditating therein that we will observe to do according to all that's written therein. We can suffer by looking at it the way Christ did, who for the joy that was set before him, the disciples walked out in, in Acts chapter 4, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. They understood what Christ did at the cross, and we can walk out and we will not be a single. We will always have our Holy Spirit and our Lord Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father, and we can enjoy life. And on top of that, if God gives us status, we can be grounded because we know that he will remember our labor of love. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to be strong in the Lord, the power of your might, and to have the joy of the Lord and not be living under the sun. And we will thank you and praise you in the sweetest name that we know, In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton. Have an awesome week. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe.
been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton, you can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.